it is encouraging for us on behalf of the Solomon Foundation, which is 4,000 investors from churches just like this all over the country, over 4,000 investors who have plowed north of $380 million in six years. We've been identifying churches in communities that had the potential for a generational impact. We sense that opportunity with leadership and some friends to encourage the journey could end up in a harvest of changed lives likes we've never seen before. We believe, as we've talked about uh, Impact Church, we look out at your parking, we look at people trying to get up and down the stairs in the hallway to children. We've called this a gallon of gold in a quart jar. There's a contagious spirit in the heart of this place. And Steve, I believe you and Bill and Dale and the leadership that God's put around you here, uh, you've laid a foundation for great days to come. On behalf of the Solomon Foundation, our 4,000 investors, we want to come today and we want to give a gift of $6,500 to your event and to help you all with your next chapter. Now, let me say, we believe that as we invest funds into the life of this church, that the end of the matter becomes a harvest of changed lives, hundreds of people that you've not yet met, that we've not yet seen. We sense that God is, uh, the hunger for hope is escalating. And the people who come from Catholic, Baptist, Lutheran backgrounds are done with um, hierarchies and ecclesiastical systems. They just want basic Jesus in the Bible. A place, a grace place. And I believe this could be that destination place for mercy and grace for hundreds of people you've not yet met. It's good for me to have with me my family here today, my wife and uh, daughter and daughter-in-law and son-in-law, and we have some grandbabies back there. And I want to say that it's good to have them joining with me. Occasionally, every now and then, they get to cross paths. So we came early to Cranberry North, and we spent a day and a half just enjoying the Pittsburgh area. And for them to have the, the friends... Jill took my wife to a tea room, and now they've threatened to take Steve and I to a tea room. <laughs> Something about cucumber sandwiches. I don't know. I've, uh, you know, if it doesn't have beef or pork on it, we're wanting to know where in the world's the beef. You know, where's the sandwich? We believe that your best years are yet in front of you. Uh, the Solomon Foundation is excited. Someone said anybody can count the seeds in an apple. Only God can count the apples in a seed. In every seed, there is an orchard. The life of this church is sowing seeds of faith and encouragement and hope and grace in every direction, in every seed. Only in heaven will you fully appreciate the number of lives you have touched, even inadvertently, through encouragement, prayer. And I want to, you're here today because somebody took time to invite you. You're here today because somebody encouraged you. We're asking you to pray about who it is that you would begin to become a lifeline to in the next few weeks. The life of the Impact Church has joined with life-giving churches across the country. The Solomon Foundation is uh, a Christian, like a, a credit union of sorts, where people invest their funds with us. We're not into stocks. We're not into bonds. We're into churches totally. Those people receive 45 to 5% on interest rates, depending on how much and how long. But we then become the bank for the church to help them to fund and give them tools so that we've told Steve, 
you and Bill are going from horse and buggy to the John Deere tractor of the harvest of changed lives. Uh, an associate of mine uh, that worked with us for years in Columbus when I was uh, there, he, uh, he came in one day and said, Scott, said, Russell, I feel led to go to Portland, Maine and plant a church. I said, Scott, it's cold in Portland. It starts snowing in October. It may not see the ground till April. He went up with 60 or 80 people. They planted a church in a, in a little, uh, like a theater, and, and it grew to two or 300. They outgrew it. They eventually went to a, 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 an airplane hangar where over 800 people were worshiping years later. I mean, when the, when the planes came in on Portland Airport, the building shook. And I said, you really need to find a destination. You're paying 13000 a month in rent. For a close, I mean, an airplane hangar that's not nearly enough. And so we found them a Home Depot where they had built a super Home Depot. Eight or nine hundred people became in the course. We opened it up just about six months ago. They're now running north of 1,800 in just about six months after that. And God's grace, His mercy, because the hunger for hope is escalating. Doug Crozier has come into the life of the, the equation here and been a leader of leaders among helping with churches, over a thousand churches at the crossroads. I've helped three, four hundred. He's helped over a thousand. In just the last six years, we have seen in those 171 churches more than 40,000 people now going to church that weren't going six months ago or six years ago, and over 15,000 baptized in the last six years. Because God's grace and mercy multiplying. We sense that the life of this church is going to touch hundreds of families. Only in heaven do you fully understand the reach of the harvest of what God is doing. It was a frigid, cold January in National Airport in Washington, D.C. 74 people got onto an Air Florida flight. Their minds were thinking about maybe freshly squeezed orange juice and some time on the sand in the south. Instead, their plane began to free fall. It had sat too long on the runway and didn't get de-iced properly. It began to free fall. They tried to make their way. They had the May Day out. The helicopters went up, but the planes took off a bridge over the Potomac River. Four people died on that bridge that day. Just started to work and didn't get home. Just started their routine day and didn't make it. Had no idea that was their last day. Seventy-some people went into the water. The Potomac River had iced over. The plane went through the ice. And the only thing out of it was a tail, an aluminum tail, that Arnold Williams, a banker, father of two, was holding on to. Out of 70-some, there's a handful that are bobbing in the water, completely disoriented. They had fallen thousands of feet. They're in ice-cold water with a current. He's holding on to the tail, and he reaches out for one person. The helicopter had let the, the, the lifeline down, and up they went to safety. By the second person, the cameras had gotten to the bridge, and they began to get a focus on a lady. He reached out into the current and put one more lady up, and the lady went up into the helicopter, and you can see that on YouTube today. What, what they did not show you they were fixed on the lady being saved. Aaron Williams was swept under the ice by the current. His last conscious deed is reaching for somebody he didn't even know. His last conscious act was reaching out to help somebody in desperate need.
Standing on the banks is Lenny Skutnik, who throws off his coat and shoes. Lenny Skutnik dives into the water, brings two people to safety. I believe we're living in a world that's in a current of chaos and confusion. They've forgotten where they came from. They've forgotten where they're going to. They're wounded. They're hurt. Sometimes wounded and hurt by religion. Beat up by a bad church experience they had along the way. Some of them don't know there's a living God. Don't really believe that. Maybe they've done too much sin. Too many uh, abortions. Too much divorce. Too many addictions. And they just feel God has given up on me. They're in a current of life. In desperate need of a lifeline. People that live next door to you and I. People going towards a Christless eternity in desperate need. And beyond our good intentions. Beyond songs and singing. Beyond thoughts and convictions. They need somebody who will be a lifeline. Who will demonstrate love. Who will reach through the fog of their avoidance. Who will reach through their resistance. Who will persist and love them. And encourage their journey. Lead me to some soul today and teach me, Lord, just what to say. For friends of mine are lost in sin and cannot find their way. Few there are who seem to care and few there are who pray. God, help me to be a lifeline. Somebody prayed for me, now help me to pray for others. Somebody reached for me, now help me to become a lifeline. Notice in 2 Timothy 2, look in your passage here. 2 Timothy 2 verse 1. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. You impact Christian church. Personalize it. Be strong in the grace. Could this be a grace place? God's grace greater than my disgrace. Say that with me if you would. God's grace greater than my disgrace. Could this be a destination place for mercy? Could this be a contagious spirit place of fellowship and life and love? I'm telling you, when I hear the music like you guys are playing up here, I'm Dale and company are having way too much fun. I see, I said, where was that music like when we were growing up? It lost sad singing and slow walking. It looked like a funeral dirge every week. You get to come to church now, and there's a celebration about whose we are and where we're going, and God has loved us and forgiven us and adopted us into his family. Note something. He says, and the things you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these truths to faithful men who will be able to teach others. Commit these truths to faithful men. What are these truths? In your bulletin this morning, there's an insert, a little Bible study sheet, and I want you to fill that out. Take it home with you and, and read through the additional verses so that you can read through and sort of savor that, marinate on it through the week. But what are the truths of a lifeline church? What are the truths of people who become lifeline people? They are committed to the truth. Paul said to Timothy, don't forget the creator of your youth, in your youth. It says, God has given us a loving hope because he is a living creator who has endowed us with meaning. He's given us everlasting direction. He's crafted us with life, a sacred trust. In my middle teens, I had left much of what my parents had tried to teach me. I had abandoned the church. I had abandoned the Bible. I began to think that it was a nice book by well-intentioned people who maybe were just intellectually frail and emotionally weak and needed a crutch to deal with death. 
I mean, I was a good student of a secular system. I, I began to buy into all of the worldly evolutionary schemes and had sort of abandoned the Bible. I began to think, man, my aunt and uncle would not give up on me. Karen and Johnny Johnson prayed for me, knocked on the door of my life and said, you've worked all the way through high school. You've taken very few breaks. Take a week. Swim. You can hang out with us. You can play basketball. I said, that sounds like a plan. I can do that. During that week, I'm watching an interesting video from Moody Science Films on the cardiovascular system, the heart and lungs working in harmony. And I'm seeing the blood go into the lungs dirty and come out clean. I'm seeing the blood go into my lungs bluish and come out bright red. Why is that? Because it was picking up toxins through every ounce of tissue of my body. It is picking up toxins and delivering it to my lungs and being pumped through my system so that every part of it is oxygenated and refreshed. There's a great exchange that takes place every minute of every day we've ever lived. Toxins for life-giving oxygen. I said, there must be a God. This is crafted. This is engineered. This is right here. It's beginning to make some sense. Yes, there is craftsmanship and engineering. There is design. At the end of this movie, it said, and at the cross of Christ, there's a great exchange. The toxin of your sin, the blood of Jesus takes and refreshes your life with life-giving oxygen of his grace. You can be refreshed by the person in the presence of Christ. I prayed with some guy on that screen, and three weeks later, drove east to Kentucky Christian University, and the trajectory of my life forever changed by one day. It's not been the same since. I had a lot of questions. I had a lot of confusion. I wanted no answers to some of these science things, and I kicked on the tires for years and years. Let me say, if you have the first five words of the Bible right, in the beginning, God created. Say that with me. In the beginning, God created. If that's in your DNA... You understand that the miracle who gave you this moment can give us the eternal moment. And if he created the heavens and the earth, he can create and design the Garden of Eden restored where life is everlasting. We can have our bodies refreshed and re-robed. But I tell you what, without that, Christians go through life with anxiety and discouragement because they think this is all there is to it. They forget that life is a passing fad and cancer is but for a moment. My father passed away from cancer a couple years ago, and I began to watch him go through the valley of the shadows of death. Cancer was eating his body up a week, a month. You could see it daily almost at the end. But one thing that did not waver is conviction in the God who created and designed us and gave us a hope that's everlasting. And he said, son, I'm looking forward to going to heaven with you. And I say to my children and my grandchildren, I'm looking forward to going to heaven with you. Turn to people either side and say, I'm looking forward to going to heaven with you. Just turn to people either side and just say that right now. To people on your right and left, say, I'm looking forward to going to heaven with you. This life, cancer is but for a moment, heart attacks but for a day, divorce is but a season. Financial crisis is but for a few weeks, months, and then what? We have an everlasting always. Do not try to weigh out the balances of good and evil and righteousness in these few years. 
that is so myopic, so nearsighted, open up the door to the vistas of eternity and see God has an everlasting always to correct the brief wrongs of this passing world. The creator of the universe. In Ephesians 2.10, God created in you. It says, he made us his masterpiece. It says we are crafted in Christ Jesus, his masterpiece. The word in the Greek is poema, his craftsmanship, his masterpiece. Psalms 51, 9 says, created me a clean heart, O God, and restore within me a right spirit. He not only created the sun, moon, and stars, he wants to recreate in us a new heart this morning. He who made the universe that set the earth in the perfect space. I mean, if we're a breath closer to the sun, we're just sand. You get us further away, at just a breath away, and we're a polar ice cap. Nothing grows. We are sustained at just the right place to sustain life. Note something. He who created the universe and gave you a thumbprint wants to recreate a new attitude. Recreate in you a new heart. Recreate in you a new spirit. That means a cleansing of the old anxiety and a fresh page of peace. A cleansing of the old sin and a fresh page of His grace. A cleansing of the yesterdays and all of the, the greed and the selfishness to give you a generous heart. A bitter heart and restore that with the great physician wants to give you a heart of grace and mercy. Now, look down in verse 8. Life-giving churches, lifeline churches are not only made up of people who understand the Creator, but also are convicted about the resurrection. Remember Jesus Christ. Verse 8 says, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Jesus, born a miraculous birth, a sinless life, died an atoning death, rose victorious over death, hell, and the grave. Among his last words, when you do this in remembrance of me, that's why we do communion on a weekly basis. Remember, he not only died, he rose from the dead. Now, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In the midst of Red Square this morning is the bodily remains of an atheist. This atheist body is in a glass casket. Vladimir Lenin helped to bring communism, atheistic communism, to much of the globe. In fact, the Bolshevik Revolution, he and others would ignite that would take over much of the globe. This atheist is entombed in a glass casket. It's a national monument in Red Square, and you can file by his glass casket. Thousands do every year, and it's interesting. On the outside of his casket are these words, he was the greatest leader of all peoples, of all nations, of all times. He was the Lord of the new humanity. He was the Savior of the world. Everything written about that atheistic leader is written in the past tense. He was, he was, he was. I thank God we've not gathered here today to celebrate that Jesus Christ lies and stayed in some fancy casket, but I serve a risen Savior who's in the world today, and I know that He's living whatever men may say. I serve the resurrection hope. <laughs> a few years back, a fellow by the name of Gary Tuckman came from CNN on behalf of Andrew Cooper, 360. Spent about a day and a half to do about a four or five minute segment. But this is a few years ago. He said, aren't you conservatives discouraged about what's going on in Washington? I said, yes, uh, we're concerned, but we're not discouraged. Our, our hope is not in government. Gary, our hope is in the empty tomb. And the last time I looked, Easter's still on the calendar. <laughs> 
We got done down a little ways further, and, and about 10 minutes later, I turned to him, and I said, Gary, would you please just end our little segment with that thought? And he did. He was very fair in his presentation. Jesus Christ rose from the dead to give us life everlasting. Look at this next slide. I want to read, if I might, the white. You read the gold, if you would. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. Let's read this next slide all together. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. If he can resurrect my dust and give me heaven, he can take care of next week. If I can trust God with my eternity, I can trust him with next month. There's nothing in this world that will ever come against us. It may be over my head, but it's under his feet. My wife and I lived in Lancaster, Ohio, and I began to do a little something that we eventually did as a church. We did, called it pray and walk, meet and greet, stand and shine. I began to pray and walk through my neighborhood early in the morning. I'd pray by households. Didn't know them. God knew them. We'd pray over how one day uh, a neighbor came up by and knocked on my door. It was Jeff Roush. I had been, I would see Jeff Roush because he would occasionally be on his doorstep smoking his morning cigarette because Treva wouldn't let him smoke inside the house. So he sat outside on the step and had his morning smoke. I'd walk by and we'd pray. We'd exchange little pleasantries and sports stuff or whatever, and I'd just walk on and pray for Jeff. Jeff and Treva were agnostics, skeptics, cynics, well-educated, living in darkness for today. One day my door knocked, and Jeff came into our living room. And he sat down and he said, uh, I don't know that I believe the book you believe, and I'm not sure I believe all the stuff you but I, I just found out I got a tumor between my lung and my heart that is inoperable. And when you're thinking of me, would you remember me? And I said, Doug, uh, Jeff, I want you to know something. I'm going to do more than just think of you. I'm going to pray for you. And he, could, I, could I pray for you right now? We began to pray and talk with Treva and Jeff. They had questions like I had had questions. And I, I said, listen. The fact that you don't believe, be at peace. I lived there. I lived with a lot of those doubts and wondering. And we began staring the Bible, and they would give their lives to Christ. The last 18 months of his life, he wanted to share hope. He wanted to share light. He hosted Bible studies into his living room. He hosted people. When he couldn't get to church, they came and worshiped and had church in his living room. And I remember a life that was transformed by the hope of the resurrection you're living with people next door that need that hope. Jesus to Calvary did go. His love for mankind did show. What he did there brought hope from despair. Oh, how he loves you and me. He loves us enough to give us the resurrection. My son was serving in northern Africa in Djibouti. He later would come to serve just down the street from where that accident took place in Arlington in the Honor Guard in Washington. But while in Africa, he would get an Air Force telephone. Those satellite phones sound like he's in the next block. And he's leaving. But it's different times, so he'd leave me messages, and he began to stack up those messages. And I would go down the road driving, and I would listen to Justin messages because I love to hear the voice of my son. I love to hear his voice. 
And I began to think one night driving, Russell, God loves you more than you even love Justin, and he loves to hear your voice. I believe in the life of the church. There are some that used to sing that need to sing again. He loves to hear your voice. Some who used to pray that need to pray again. He loves to hear your voice. Some who used to witness and reach for friends that need to witness, and God needs to resurrect a witness in your days. Romans 8.11 says, Do you not know that the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead wants to give life to your mortal bodies in the present tense? The Spirit of God that changed the course of human history wants to change our destiny. The Spirit of God wants to invade our lives and refresh our spirits and those who are weary to become strong. Those who have been discouraged to be filled with encouragement. Those who have been walking heavy to have a life of joy and celebration. Notice something. Entrust these truths to faithful men and women. There's a creator. There's a resurrection. But look in verse 15 as we close. Notice what he says. He says, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Entrust these truths, the creation, the resurrection, and the word of truth. John 20 says, these have been written so that you may have life in his name. Believing in Jesus and obeying his word, we become living epistles. How do we become a lifeline church that reaches the harvest of many to come? It says in 2 Timothy 3.16, just one chapter over, underline this, that God breathed scripture, that all scripture is God-inspired. In the Greek, it's God-breathed. He breathes four times in the Bible. He breathes in Genesis on Adam, and he becomes a living soul. That separates him from the orangutans and the dolphin. They have intelligence. They have personality. We become a living soul. We can be adopted into his family as children. Notice something. He breathes in Ezekiel 37, and Israel becomes a nation. He said, I looked over the landscape of history, and the Israelites were scattered. Their bodies were like dry bones. And after World War II, you looked over the landscape of all of Europe, millions. It was like dry bones. But he said, in that hour, when they think there's the final solution, when they think it's all done and Israel is dead, I will resurrect them, and I will replant. I will breathe upon Israel, and I'll replant them into the land I gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they will not be moved. And in some of your all's lifetime, that happened. Israel was replanted. The star of David is over Jerusalem today by divine design, not geopolitical skirmishing. What happened? God breathed. In John 20, Jesus breathed on his disciples. They received the Holy Spirit. And he said, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. And the Romans and the communists and the secularists and everybody in the globe that thinks that they could come against the church and bury Christianity line up behind Caesar. Rome went into the dustbin. The church still stands. Line up behind Vladimir Lenin. His body's in a glass casket, but the church still stands. The life of the church, that's a lifeline. They believe in creation. They're living out resurrection. They're walking with the DNA of God's word in their body. But I was saved and rescued by grace. A church that was a lifeline church, lifeline believers, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry, and from the waters lifted me. Now safe am I. Love lifted me. Say that with me. Love lifted me. 
Who did Oren Williams give his life for? Who was the last person he helped? Kelly Duncan Moore. The lady on your screen there was the lady who went up, the last lady to be reached out of the water. Let me say, she was given a second lifeline in the hospital. A nurse, Anna Anderson, leaned over her gurney and said to her, 72 people started your flight today, ma'am. Only six of you made it. God's got a purpose for your life. She prayed for her. Kelly Duncan Moore went to South Florida, gave her life to Christ in a life-giving church in South Florida. She today teaches children because she wants to be a lifeline. Today, you've been reached. You've been loved to not just sit and stare and spectate. God wants you on the plain floor of life to become a lifeline to somebody. And I want to encourage you, if you're convicted of the creation and you believe in the resurrection, living out his word makes you a lifeline church. And I want you, if you would, to bow your heads with me for a moment. Thank God for people who did not give up on you. People who reached for you and prayed for you. Through the fog of your avoidance and through your resistance and your attitude and stiff neck and hard heart, you maybe ignored and turned a deaf ear to God. And there are people who did not give up on you. That work friend, that grandparent, that neighbor. And that's why you're here today. Thank God for that person. My uncle and Aunt Johnny and Karen Johnson is who reached for me. Parents and grandparents prayed for me from a distance. Who is it that's encouraged you to be where you are today? Now, I want you to ask God to help you. Put one person on your heart. The clerk at the store. The person who cuts your hair. The mechanic for your car. The neighbor down the street. Father in heaven, I pray that you'd lead the Impact Christian Church to become a lifeline. And Father, I thank you for over 4,000 investors who have prayed and encouraged the journey of this congregation to discover an opportunity for a current of hundreds of people to discover a life-giving hope in Jesus. God, I pray in Jesus' name you'd be with Steve and with Bill and Father, touch the heart of Dale and others that are working in concert in the leadership. And I pray this congregation will have her finest years of harvest, most meaningful days of love. A contagious spirit will grip the heart of this place. And God, we love you and thank you for what you've yet to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Russell. Appreciate that so much. Um, Someone served as a lifeline for you. They were the person that took you from where you were to Jesus. Because salvation comes only through Jesus. And we want to always be a lifeline church with, full of people who notice those in their line of sight who will spend a Christless eternity if someone doesn't
bring them to Jesus. And God is uh, blessing us in so many ways as we commit ourselves to opening our eyes and seeing those around us who just need a word of encouragement or need to be served with the love of Jesus and who need an invitation to uh, our church. But, you know, each week we partake of the Lord's Supper here. And when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we remember that Jesus loved us enough to come to earth and to pay the price that we owed God so that we could spend eternity in heaven. And I was thinking as I was listening to Russell's message last night, and um, the scripture that came to mind is from John chapter 10, and Jesus says there, a thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I came to give life life in all of its fullness. And sometimes at the, at the communion time, we find that a time of guilt and shame. We spend time thinking through all of our failures and all of our sins from the past week. And we find ourselves just burdened by uh, guilt and shame, and we forget that that's not what this time is about. It's Satan who is the thief that comes to steal and kill and destroy. It's Satan that wants us overwhelmed with shame and guilt. But Jesus came to give us life. He died on the cross so that all of our sin and all of our shame could be taken away and dealt with all at once so that we could have life and not just survival, but life in its fullness, life full of joy. And so this time should be a time of celebration. You should understand that your sin has been completely forgiven once and for all through Jesus when you've trusted in him, when you've committed your heart and life to him. And so as you take the bread that reminds us of the body of Jesus that was pierced and nailed to the cross, as you partake of the cup that reminds us of the blood of Jesus that scripture says covers all of my sin, let's celebrate the love of Jesus. Let's celebrate the fact that Jesus came to give us life and life in its fullness.